0: Today is August 31st, 2017, and welcome to Episode 5 of our 2017 Summer Series of Adventures in Finance. And to my right is my trusty producer, James. James, how are you? I'm doing great. So this is our final Summer Series episode. How does that make you feel? Yeah, it's it's making me look forward to getting into Season 2 next week. Yes. And I'm pretty excited about everything that's going to be happening in the next season, for sure. Why don't you remind our listeners, actually, when Season 2 is set to air? Yeah, that's uh, 7th of September. It's back to school, man. That's right. We'll be back with Season 2 on September 7th. And before we get into the big announcement for the first episode of Season 2, with us on the line is Grant. Grant, where in the world are you?
1: Fellas, I have the dubious privilege of being in Dubai in 49-degree heat. Um which is a rare, a rare treat. I have to say, it's uh, <laughs> it's heat that I'm not used to, and I can see why the the place is half empty. I have to say, this is
0: hot. Well, Grant, it's the last episode of our summer series, and as promised, we we have a we had a big reveal earlier this week, and. Kyle Bass is going to be coming on to co-host the first episode with you for the uh, second season of Adventures in Finance. Um,
1: yes, indeedy. I, I look at it as uh, as an audition uh, for your role.
0: <laughs> I think uh, you know, you know, maybe Carl. Kyle, maybe Carl's got enough to cut the mustard. We'll see. I don't we'll know. We'll see. It's going to be fun. He might. He might. I've seen him a couple of times on TV, and <laughs> and I'm not convinced. Uh, no, but I mean, look. All jokes aside, um, I'm actually pretty. I, I don't think devastated is the word, but I'm, I'm pretty jealous. You're going to get to spend uh, a full hour with him uh, and co-hosting the first, uh, first episode of season two, which is by the way, coming on September 7th, uh, next Thursday, guys, it's an episode that you don't want to miss. Kyle Bass can be on, um, having all kinds of fun with Grant. So, uh, Grant, yeah, I mean, look,
1: Kyle, Kyle's, Kyle's just such a smart guy. And, uh, and he's he's just he's a lot of fun to spend time with. So I, I think this will be a great chance for people to actually listen in, um, you know, and hear Kyle chatting about stuff that uh, normally they probably wouldn't do. And, and you, you'll you'll get a sense of just the depth of intellect, his intellect. And as I said, well, he's just he is a really a
0: genuinely good guy. And Grant, this is also a great chance for our listeners to ask Kyle Bass a question. You know, when do you when you usually get this opportunity? Um, so if you go to our pinned tweet on Real Vision's Twitter account. You'll find a link. Click on that link, and you'll be taken to a survey. And there, you can submit your question. Um, and I guess Grant, you'll be going through the questions, trying to figure out the the ones that we should be asking Kyle.
1: Yes, indeed. Look, I, I can't wait to, to to do this and put my feet up and let Kyle do all the heavy lifting. This is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun. I can just throw questions at him and then uh, and then sit back and enjoy the show.
0: Well, Grant, something tells me it's going to be a little bit more to it than that. But again, guys, be sure to tune in on September seventh for season two premiere of Adventures in Finance featuring Kyle Bass. You guys don't want to miss it. Also, this is your chance to have Kyle Bass answer one of your questions. So be sure to submit a question via the pin tweet on our Real Vision Twitter account. It's at Real Vision. And we'll be accepting questions until September 4th. So don't miss the opportunity to have a legend of the hedge fund industry answer your question. Guys, what can be better than that? And with that out of the way, let's move on to this week's guest. And for those of you who are just joining us for our summer series... The whole idea was to invite back some of our past contributors and guests to come on and talk about things outside of finance. So in our first season, we covered a lot of interesting stories and themes like one by one road, Bitcoin, um, the pension crisis, and cybersecurity. And to bring these stories to life, we spoke with some of the smartest hedge fund managers, analysts, and subject matter experts in the world. But with our summer series, we're flipping that script on the head. And we will be speaking to our contributors about the things that help them stay productive, creative and, and balanced. And also a question that we've gotten a lot. And I know you guys want an answer to is what sources of information or books do our contributors draw inspiration from or have had an outsized impact on the worldview? So we're going to get into all these things and more today with Steve Diggle, who is the founder of Vulpus Investment Management. Steve, thanks for taking the time. It's a pleasure. So while I was planning for a conversation, one nugget that Grant actually brought to my attention was that you were a pretty accomplished boxer in university. And I guess given that we just witnessed the spectacle of a bout between McGregor and Mayweather, I thought it actually might be an interesting jumping off point or launching off point for a conversation. So Grant, uh, do you want to lead us off here?
1: Well, look, I mean, Steve, I think uh, you, know, you, you and I have, have spoken about all this stuff uh, in the past. And, and I, I know that you were a very accomplished boxer when you were at university. And, um, you know, we, we were looking to try and talk about... We've, we've spoken about kind of mental distractions from um, from markets. Uh, and I wanted to get into a physical one. And this was the first thing that jumped, jumped into my mind. So, you know, I just love to hear... Uh, I guess start off with with what drew you to boxing in the first place, and 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 what it taught you, and then perhaps we can talk about how how you use it now.
2: Yeah, sure. So this is a very long time ago, but um, <laughs> when I went up to Oxford University, um, I had been a very serious long distance runner. At least I took it seriously. But uh, you know, at the age of eighteen, I I run so much. I'm a slightly obsessive individual still. And what was then, I, I damaged my knees to the extent where I was really told that I couldn't run long distances anymore without permanently damaging my, my cartilage. So I had to find another sport that didn't involve a huge amount of running. Um, and um, Oxford still has, and still does have a boxing program that's, somewhat unusual and most um, I think just about all American universities have had to ban certainly the fighting part for uh, insurance reasons um, and there's only about a dozen universities in Britain that still box uh, competitively. They still A lot of these places have clubs that still train but they don't actually do the fighting which seems kind of pointless. Um, so I joined the, the boxing team um, and I boxed at Oxford my whole time. And and I had the privilege and honor of representing Oxford in the Oxford Cambridge varsity boxing match in 1986. Um, And, um, you know, that, that was something that, that really uh, was an important part of my time at at university. Um, What attracted me to, apart from the fact that it didn't involve putting a huge amount of pressure on my knees was there's a, there's a, Purity to it. There's an there's an there's a there's a, um, there's a there's an absence of other distractions. In boxing, it's really it's just you and one other person, and his job is to hit you, and your job is to hit him, and it's that simple. And there's a huge amount of preparation and training goes into it. The amount of training relative to the amount of time you actually spend fighting is is an enormous certainly less than 1% of your training time is actually the time you spend actually fighting. But that moment when you have your first fight is this moment that I don't suppose anyone will forget. And I would advocate it as a a life experience to anyone who was curious about this subject. You know, we now have these white-collar boxing tournaments which are pretty popular. And I think anyone who has ever done one has really taken a great deal out of it because that moment when you step into this ring and it's this tiny amount of space um and you're surrounded by people who are uh screaming their heads off some you know in, in my case hundreds of people um and this one little pool of light and there's one person and he's gonna come, gonna come across this very small uh, um area of space and punch you in the face uh, and you can't run and you can't hide because both of those would be pretty shameful. So you've got to do something about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible, it's an incredibly clarifying moment. And if you can get through that and, and not completely uh, fail, and throw in a few good punches yourself and survive it, it does an enormous amount for your um, sense of self-confidence and self-reliance. But it is just this sort of um, this. Right of passage, which you, if you go through, you'll never think about yourself the same way again. Um, and whether you, you know, win, draw, or lose, say it's it's a it's a it's a life-changing experience. You know, I, I stuck at it for quite a while. I um, say so I got good enough to represent my university. The one downside of of boxing, apart from the fact that if you're not very good, you tend to get pretty mashed up um is that uh, you need to watch your weight so i spent my three years at college uh you know watching my diet um and i think anyone who wrestled in the, in the states will remember this experience as well which is a it's a very tough thing when everyone else around you is um is is eating like teenagers and, and drinking a great deal that you're actually there literally you know drinking black coffee and eating dry toast um and um and watching your weight, but uh, it's a great way of staying fit. Um, you know, you, you get strength, you get uh, you get stamina, you get flexibility, um, and you know, as a as a small byproduct, being handy with your fists is not always the worst thing in in, in, um, in later life. So for me, it was it was a, it was a great experience. I got to I got, I got to box with some some really good guys, um, and 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 they've stayed. Of all my university friends, I've probably stayed closer to the boxers than to any, everyone else. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's what I, I spent some of my time at university doing. And um, I, I say it was a, it was a great experience. Uh, and I say would, I would advocate it <clears throat> as a form of exercise to almost everybody. But uh, if anyone was curious <clears throat> and were thinking about doing one of these white-collar boxing um, programs where you train to have one charity fight, I'd recommend it to to anyone. It's a great experience.
0: You know, Steve, that's a a fascinating look into your athletic background. And it's interesting to me when you talk about setting aside the long-distance running and taking up boxing as your main sport. You know, I used to do a lot of running myself uh, while I was training as a professional tennis player. And truth be told, I, I hated it. But I'm curious about, you know, especially since both running and boxing are individual sports, it's amazing how you describe the feeling of not having anywhere to run when you're in the boxing ring. It's just you and, and your opponent. And that's something that I can definitely relate to from my time on the tennis court. Well, <laughs> minus part where you get punched in the face, but it's just you and your opponent on the court. Nothing else mattered. Uh, but I'm curious, what was it like going from long-distance running to boxing, and what aspects of running were you able to carry over with you to your time as a boxer?
2: Well, running, long-distance running is is a is a meditative exercise. It's about reaching a certain level of performance, which you can then persist in. And I've always felt, um, and I still feel, that you know, when I'm out for a long run, my mind can go places that. Um, it doesn't normally go to a lot of people find different ways of stimulating ideas. i you know, in order to develop an idea, a long run can be one of the best things you can ever do. And and in in terms of the, of the, of of what's happening to your body during that process, you know, that long term uh, aerobic exercise is, is obviously great for your heart and lungs, but it produces this really nice steady endorphin buzz. Boxing is totally different. You are absolutely flooded with this enormous amount of uh, adrenaline. Um, this fight-or-flight um, caveman response is just absolutely flooding your body. So much so that um, you know one of the questions that inevitably comes up, and apart from the fact that why would you ever want to do this, is doesn't it hurt when you get hit? And the answer is when you're actually in a fight. It really doesn't, because you've got so much adrenaline going right. through your body mm-hmm. that you don't even notice. You notice it later, uh, next day. Is, you certainly notice it. Um, but um, so you know, your brain's got not. You 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 can't take your brain anywhere except. Um, how do I? You know not get hit, not get pummeled by this person whose job it is to come and come and punch you <laughs> um and how do you let you know get a, get in some blows yourself so there's no space for any thought in boxing. you've just got to completely be focused on, totally focused and completely on this one thing whereas I think one of the great things about about running is you can and 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 some people find it necessary to get away from the the tedium and the and, and sometimes the, the pain of actually you know pounding the, the pavement or the or the track and and mm-hmm. and, and to go somewhere else, um, you know. In, in many ways, it, for, from a from a mental health perspective, well, the running is is just is just much better. From mm-hmm. a from a from a from a health perspective, the boxing was was very different, and you do need to channel. Um, everything in, in you into this one very brief period of, of conflict when you're boxing. Um, you absolutely have to be, um, you know, the Zen sense, you know, all, everything, mm-hmm. all of your, all of your energy, all of your attention, all of your aggression um, needs to be in this place. And all of the bad stuff, your fear, your insecurity, um your, your natural self-preservation <laughs> instincts need you need to you need to repress them. So I think you know they're they're very different. They both need a high level of dedication and a high level of, of of fitness, but beyond that, there's very little similarity.
0: It's really interesting when you talk about running and the meditative effects that it can have, and how that helps you produce deeper thoughts. I actually want to move on to something, or actually not move on, but connect to something that we discussed the last time we spoke about off air. Uh, during season one, when we recorded for the volatility piece, and it's diving, uh, scuba diving. You know, at the time, I <laughs> I hadn't gotten my dive certification, and I was really eager to, but I just got mine two months ago, and I've been diving almost every weekend in Cayman. But I know you're an avid diver and have a lot of experience with the sport. So can you bring the listeners in on why you dive? Because I think it's a fascinating perspective, and one that I've now, I guess, had the pleasure of experiencing myself.
2: Yeah, well, Cayman is, a, I've never had the pleasure of of uh, diving in, in Cayman. <laughs> virtually virtually all of my diving has been out here in 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 Asia and Australia. I I have been doing it for you know 25 years and it's uh, it's one of the things that I love to do. One thing is uh, you know and you can do this in many different ways, but it gets you out of the city and into a pristine place in nature. You know one of the you know i I like being outdoors the career I've had, the job I had keeps me not only indoors, but in cities. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about whether it's hiking or mountaineering or fishing or, um, or whatever is to, you know, gets you out of the city into, into nature. And I think that's just, that's just good for the, for the body and soul. Um, there's something particularly peaceful about being out on the water. Um, and, and, and being out, you know, in in the, in the big blue is even more, um, peaceful. But this, uh, this, this very simple technology, you know, everyone thinks of anyone who hasn't died thinks the technology is, is is particularly daunting or quite the equipment's very complicated, but in fact, it's, it's incredibly simple. It's, it's a jacket, it's Mm -hmm. a pair of fins, it's a mask, and it's a bottle of air. And you just put this on and and you can go to a different world. Um, you know, and, and, it's it's the closest we'll we'll probably ever get to uh, to leaving the planet. You know, when I was a kid, I, I assumed that space travel would be just um, normal and that we would be um, zipping off into space, mm-hmm. and this would be part of my experience. That, despite Mr. Musk's uh, efforts, this doesn't look like it's going to become a, a reality. <laughs> so, the closest you're uh, you, you know we're going to get to 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 leaving the planet is when you go into this blue world. Um, where everything is different, and um, uh, and and you you combine that that beauty and this alien world with the fact that you're also buoyant and, um, and moving in a different way, and I just find it um, you know extraordinarily um, calming and and beautiful, and um, it is so far away from the normal experience of life that um it you know you almost can look look at your life from a great distance and see things in a very different way uh it definitely gets you pretty high um both um physically and and and, and spiritually and and you can take that you know away with you but i do also think that this sense of distance um and this is probably true of, of of a lot of things, but especially from finance and financial investing, distance is hugely beneficial, and being able to look at things in a sense with a sense of perspective and clarity. You need to get away from the noise. And um, you know, when you're when you're on a boat or or you're under the water, you know, you're as far away from uh, from the trading floor of it. The office, as all the screens as you can be, and that just gives you a chance to, for things to to clarify. Um, you know, particularly if you're out in the deep ocean, you're you're actually out of contact with the world. And you know, I've always advocated anyone who does a stressful job, especially in finance, to get away from the uh, all of the distractions. And if they, if you're in a place where even if you want to have your phone on, no one can reach you is incredibly liberating, and um, and I do think that having uh, having that distance and having that perspective is uh, is essential to not just good mental health, but actually good training.
1: Steve, you, I know you 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 try and take one of these trips at the beginning of every year to to try and. Think through the year. Think through your strategy for that year and, and how it's going to play out. You know, and when you come back with with a plan, you know, I, there's that great quote from Mike Tyson about everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Um, and so bringing these two worlds together, and you know your experience of boxing, and this idea of of getting yourself straight for the year, um, and, and understanding okay, this is what I want to do this year. How do you then marry the two together when you come back and the first time you get punched in the face by either a Trump tweet or, you know, a central bank move or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. How do you use these two to kind of deal with that sort of situation?
2: You know, Grant, one of the great things you learn about boxing is that being punched in the face doesn't hurt as much as you ever expect it to. I've never been punched in the face by my (laughs) person, thankfully. But, um, you know, it's actually not as painful as as you imagine. And I think, uh, you know, you're your fear of it and this is probably you know your fear of it is greater than the actual reality and I think that's this that's also true of of a lot of um, of a lot of a lot of training experiences is that a lot of the time what you're fighting is not the circumstances but yourself and your fears and one of the great things that that boxing teaches you is that fear itself is the you know, um, in the classic words of Mr. Roosevelt, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Fear is paralyzing. Uh, fear is 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 confusing, and it and it adds and, and it makes everything twice or five times as hard. So, fighting your fear or controlling your fear is is an essential thing to do if you're going to trade well. Um, and the other part, and this is where where perhaps the 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 diving comes into it is perspective. You know, very little really matters um, ultimately. And an awful lot of things that seem to be incredibly important, um, you know, usually are not. So distilling out the noise, and uh, my God, you know, we, we, we live with an enormous amount of it Now, not just because we live in this extraordinary time, both politically and socially, but also we have the technology that means that, you know, we can be bombarded with it uh, literally, literally 24-7. And and that level of noise is so distracting um, that I think it it makes it almost um, impossible to... Um, to ignore, keeping a sense of clarity, keeping those fears in control, and pursuing a well-thought-out, logical, uh, and flexible plan is always better than just trying to constantly respond and change, you know, second by second to things which uh, which which confuse you. Um, <clears throat> the difference between something that permanently changes your plan. And requires you to, to go to Plan B, and just something that is just a um, brief or slight setback. Being able to distinguish between those is hugely important, um, and sometimes that, that 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 requires, you know, a sense of both discipline, um, you
0: know, and perspective. You know, Steve, when you talk about perspective, all <laughs> all I can think about is a feeling I've gotten when I've you know, gone down to one of the main walls off the coast here in Cayman, where you literally see the ocean floor drop off like a cliff into this dark blue abyss. And it's in those moments that I'm, uh, I guess, especially sensitive to my own insignificance. So, you know, since we're on a more contemplative topic, one question that we get a lot from, you know, our listeners, and we get it on a regular basis, is they want to hear about what books our contributors read. You know, what what do they pick up and what do they open and, and dive into? So with that in mind, are there any books that you've enjoyed this summer, whether on route during your summer travels or wherever you've been spending your time?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a constant reader. Uh, you know, I've always been a constant reader. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's for me, it's an essential thing to do. Um, another way in which you go to different worlds. Um, and I've been reading, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always reading something. I. I'm a great lover of history. Um, I, I read history um, all the time, um, and you know I, I don't specialise in anything. I read um, history of everything. I've recently just uh, read a book by A. C. Grayling called *The Age of Genius*, which is about the 17th century, um, which is an, in Europe, which is an interesting time. Um, Vicious war, 30 years war, one of the worst wars ever to affect Europe, completely destroyed uh, most of Germany, which was fought over for an entire generation. They think that in, in some way about a quarter of the population of Germany was lost um, during that period, but also a time of enormous intellectual development. Um you know, the, the pre-enlightenment phase, the birth of this idea, this birth of reason, Galileo, Newton, uh, Descartes, and so on. And whether or not those those two things were, were connected, whether or not this devastating war and this, um, and this growth of genius was, um, uh, and, and then this pre-enlightenment phase of this age of reason, w- were in some ways um, connected. So that was pretty interesting. Um, it's certainly not a light read. Um, I read a very depressing book. Um, who's the author the name of the author escapes me for the moment called Americana uh, which is set in the as a rather dystopian book set in the near future in which the divisions within america um, are so great between north and south that they, uh, a new civil war begins um, pretty good book um, certainly not a not a cheerful tale um, and um, for people who, who like that sort of thing i thought that was that was pretty good. The best book I read over the summer, however, and, and I just, a fantastic novel. It's not something I learned. I didn't particularly learn anything from, but I just, there's a beautifully written novel. It's a novel called Moonglow by Michael, Michael Chabon, who, who's written a lot of, a few very good books. Um, the, um, the adventures of Cavalier and clay is probably the book he's best known for. Um, but just a beautiful work of, uh, fiction. And, uh, Uh, And, and, you know, beautifully written. Um, So uh, I'm not sure what you learn from reading fiction, but um, I find that I need to read both fiction and nonfiction. The reason why I like history, apart from the fact that I find it fascinating, is I do feel that in order to properly understand something, you need to understand the history of it. But once again, going down to the sense of perspective, um... The more history of anything that you understand, the better you understand why things happen. Um, and it also, once again, hopefully, looking at <clears throat> the four or five thousand years of recorded human history gives, us a, gives you a, a better sense of, of perspective on, um, on why things are happening, why things continue to happen, why we learn so little um uh, but nevertheless as a species we managed to sort of stumble on and make progress so um i think uh, yeah i would recommend i would re- recommend mr chabon's book to anyone who is looking for a uh, a, a really well written novel one thing that's quite contemporary and i would uh, and i absolutely loved it was a book about set in North Korea, a work of fiction written by an American. So what would he know? But um, it's, a, it's a superb book called *The Orphan Master's Son*, and um, by uh, an author I think his name's Johnson, Adam Johnson maybe. Um, *The Orphan Master's Son*, an extraordinary novel, really brilliantly written, well written, set in North Korea. It's not a very common setting for for a novel, but um, it was uh, it certainly um, grabbed my attention, and uh, with North Korea being so much in the news, um, I found it quite topical.
0: All right, so for our listeners who aren't already Googling the books Steve just mentioned and are wondering who the authors might be, uh, the author for Americana, and I'm almost certainly butchering the name, is Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Steve, does that ring a bell?
2: Yeah, well, there's there's a reason why I couldn't remember his name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And the author of The Orphan Master's Son is Adam Johnson. Um, yeah, the notion of reading fiction, I think it's, it's, one, it's a thing that I haven't completely you know, come around to yet because, I don't know, maybe it's just a function of my age and, and awareness of all the things that I don't know. But actually, I find myself wanting to devour all the knowledge I can get my hands on, be it financial history, monetary history, uh, behavioral psychology, complexity theory. I mean, you name it. But to actually find time to escape into a you know fictitious world and to open up your imagination, I think it's it's really important. So, Steve, I want to ask you: Was reading fiction something you had to trans- transition into, or did that genre always place prominently on your bookshelf?
2: I've always I've always read both. You know, I think um, I can't remember who said it, but someone said that you know good fiction is 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 truth plus, um, and. Um, <clears throat> You know, I've known people who refuse to read it on the grounds that uh, you know, it's, just a made, it's just made up. One of the profound truths of the human um, condition is that stories are what make us and motivate us. And, <clears throat> you know, everyone has a personal story. Everyone has a personal narrative. Um, the way in which stories move us, motivate us, make us uh, both as a, as a species, as a nation, uh, as an individual, cannot be um, understated. And <clears throat> making yourself available to those, I think, is a, is a thing that is necessary. Um, there's only so many facts, facts, facts you can jam into your head. Um, context and, and putting them in a narrative is, is just as important.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, Steve. It's so true. I, I I try and read kind of one fiction book for every sort of three nonfiction that I read, and and I always they always take me a little while to get into, um, but it's amazing once you, you can really lose yourself in in in, in a in a fiction novel. Uh, which I guess the the historical ones, and I like you, I, I love to read history, they, they, it's hard to lose yourself in those. And I think everything you've said with the boxing, you know, when you go into that, uh, that, that uh, lonely place when you're training and that lonely place in the ring and the, the diving where you get away into the solitude of the ocean, um, you know, a good fiction will, will give you a similar, a similar experience without having to either get on a plane or stand and get punched in the face.
0: <laughs> Quite,
2: yes, definitely
0: safer. <laughs> well, Steve, unfortunately, this is all the time we have for today, and it pains me that we have to end it here because I think there's just so much more that we could cover. Uh, but for our listeners who want to learn more about Vulpus, how can they do that?
2: Well, we've got a website, but uh, I've got an email. Just, just give us a call.
0: All right. So with that, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the final episode of our summer series.
1: That's a pleasure. Good luck, guys. Steve, thanks
0: a lot. And guys, just a quick note. Um, Steve wrote us immediately after the interview, uh, wanting to correct something he said about the books, something he mentioned about the books. And basically, um, the dystopian future of the new American Civil War, which he mentioned, is actually called, it's a book called American War by Omar El Akkad and not Americana. Now, Americana is actually a book about Nigerian expats trying to relocate to Nigeria after living in the United States. So he just wanted to make that clear uh, for the listeners. And so, Grant, boxing, I mean, long distance, run, I mean, it's just, Steve's not the kind of guy you want to be cornering in any kind of situation, Grant. I mean, maybe you've seen him in different situations, but seems like a man with a very particular set of skills.
1: Well, thankfully, I've never seen him use him in the office, but uh, yeah, look, Steve is <laughs> a fascinating guy. Um, you know, he he has a rare mind and it's, uh, it's always a, a, a genuine pleasure to sit and, uh, and and pick it apart.
0: You know, Grant, if, I, if we had a little more time, I'd love to ask him how he arrived at this point, because I remember you saying that, in any conversation you've ever had with Steve or ever heard him have with other people, I mean, he's always the smartest guy, you know, talking about any particular well, he's, topic.
1: He's, yeah, he, he's a guy that... I, I, I've, I've discovered gold is literally the only subject I can talk to him about that he doesn't <laughs> know more than me. It's 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 incredibly frustrating, probably more so for him because I always try and get the conversation around to gold just so I'm on an <laughs> even playing field with him. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's always fun, and, um, you know, I learn a lot every time I sit and talk to Steve.
0: And, well, Grant, with that... Um, Man, this is kind of bittersweet. It's my last uh, last episode. Yes, and-
1: indeedy. Yeah, you, you're s- signing off for the last time. Yes, it's, uh, it's it's a shame. It's been it's been a it's been a hell of a ride and a lot of fun. And uh, very publicly, I just want to thank you for all the hard work you've put into this because you've uh, you've done an, an absolutely incredible job.
0: Adventure uh, find. So, so a sincere thanks from uh, from me, Aaron. Oh, Grant, I appreciate it so much. And you know, it's really been a lot of fun to work alongside with you. And and um, you know, everything. You know, people from the outside, of Real Vision have maybe have a certain perception, but uh, everything that I thought, Grant, uh, you've exceeded my expectations uh, and more. So it's been a, it's been a really fun, fun and a fun time and an honor to work alongside with you. Uh, well, but thank you. Know, you. That, that suggests that perhaps you set the bar incredibly low, but I'll take it <laughs> either, either way. It comes. Thanks, man. No, I wouldn't say that, but. You know, I guess it is somewhat flattering that I am leaving sandwiched by two investing legends. We just, we spoke with Steve Diggle today and then next week you guys are getting Kyle Bass. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. So guys, just want to remind you again, September 7th, that's going to be episode one of season two of Adventures in Finance. And again, you have till next Monday, which is September 4th, to submit your questions for Kyle. And you can do this by going to the pinned tweet that you can find on Real Vision's Twitter account. That's at Real Vision. So just go there. Click on, the, click on the survey link and submit your questions and Grant will be combing through them.
1: Yeah, make them make make as hard and as thoughtful as you can. Um, and uh, let, let's put Kyle on the spot next week. All right, sounds good.
0: And with that, let me get into the usual legal disclaimer. Anything you heard on this episode should not be considered as trading advice. These are our opinions and the opinions of our contributors only. So do your fundamental research, chart your technicals, place your stops and trade responsibly.
1: Yes, indeedy. And if you've got an interesting question about uh, this week's conversation or any of our summer series or even anything to do with series two before we get there, we would obviously love to hear from you. So please, as always, send us an email or leave us a voice note at podcast at realvision.com.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, but don't tell Grant about it.
1: Ah, what the hell? Fine. Leave a review. Leave a review. Everybody leave a review. If you want to keep up to date with the latest interviews, research publications, and of course, podcast episodes, then please do follow us on Twitter at Realvision.
0: You can also find us hanging out on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just search for Real Vision.
1: And you can follow me on Twitter. If the mood takes you, you'll find me
0: at TTMYGH. And if the mood takes you somewhere else, you can follow me at MacroDidact. And that's it from us.
1: We will see you next week for the start of Season 2.